Well, good morning. Um, it's, it really is. Uh, thank you for the introduction. It really is a privilege to be here. Um, we, uh, my wife and I and my family, we, we, we pretty much serve most, of, most weeks over at our Canton campus. And you haven't been over there, I'd love for you to check that out. A lot of amazing things going on there. And I'm just thrilled to death uh, about this privilege of being able to be in front of you guys, to get to hang out with you guys, see what God is up to here at Dawson. Um, and I've always been, I, I used to be on staff with Local, and I've always been a big, big fan of what Brian is all about, and incredibly just uh, about the right things, about make, making the big things the big things, and loving people so, so well. And so I just want to say thank you because I keep tabs on everything that goes on here. And um, I'm just so grateful for the fact that you truly do keep what's important, important. And so uh, thank you for what uh, you are doing and following after what God has in store for Local Dawson. It's just a really exciting time. Um, so um, I want to just reiterate again, a happy Father's Day. And, and no, I'm not going to spend this entire time talking about Father's Day because, um, you know, that just wouldn't be normal. And so, um, uh, but I do want to wish you all a happy Father's Day in the room. Um, and especially to you moms, happy Father's Day, because I don't want you guys to think that the guys have the upper hand for even a second in here. That just would not be, that would not be Christian at all. So, um, so happy Father's Day to you moms specifically. So when I was growing up, I always, always kind of wondered, I was like, how is it that, how is it that these two days, Mother's Days and Father's Days, are treated so differently? I mean, they, they really are treated differently in a lot of different ways, and especially from a church point of view. And I always wondered, kind of growing up, I said, why, why is it that on Mother's Day, I mean, there's so much, so much involved, so much time put into making sure that you have the perfect gift, you have the perfect card, you have the perfect flowers, you have the entire family going with mom to church in their perfect outfits, and you have that perfect lunch, and have everybody go around making sure that perfect moms hear how perfect they are by their perfect children, and then Father's Day rolls around, and you give them the remote. <laughs> or maybe you send him fishing so he doesn't have to look at the rest of us for an afternoon, or whatever it might be. And it's treated so incredibly different that I always wondered what, how that kind of come about. And so I have some really, really good news for y'all. All right, if, if you're in here right now and you really took that to the extreme and you actually fought, forgot that it was Father's Day, um, I have some gifts for you that you might be able to give your dads today. And so um, hopefully this will be uh, effective for you. So if you did forget about it, uh, I came through for you guys. So um, if anybody is in need of some American mullet socks, I have mullet socks here. Um, prepackaged, I mean, brand new pair. So if you warriors out from last year, I, I came through for you guys. So um, anybody need a pair of American mullet socks? Anybody, anybody short? Anybody short on those? No? Oh, way in the back? Okay, fantastic. Come on up, buddy. Uh, give this to dad. I mean, this is a really, really good, good gift. All right, come on up, bud. All right, so I do have some mullet socks. Hey, don't even try to keep those for yourself, big guy. All right, it's not your day. Okay, all right, not your day. All right, so I, I do have one more, uh, one more gift here, and, and truly, I'm, I'm not joking when I tell you guys this, um, when I actually just simply Googled perfect Father's Day gifts, this website was the first one to pop up with these gifts, okay? So um, my second gift I'm happy to hand out is I have crop dusting champion breath mints. Does anybody need... Yeah, come on up, come on up. I have Crop Dusting Champion Breath Mints. And, and so this is a family service today. So dads, if you don't know what crop dusting is, or moms, if you don't know what crop dusting is, just go ahead and lean over to your kid. They'll fill you in. All right, so um, Crop Dusting Champion Breath Mints. There you are, okay? All right, congratulations. Very good. All right, fantastic. So 
Now, here's the thing. Here's the thing. I hope I didn't, like, over-budget you guys by those gifts. Uh, I know it's a lot, okay? All right? But um, congratulations and happy Father's Day to you. But no, really, here, here's the thing about me. Here's something you need to know about me. I was an incredibly strange college student. And let me explain. All right? I've been out of college for a lot of years, all right? But I was an incredibly strange college student, and this is what I mean. I had, I had the privilege of being able to play basketball and baseball into college, and, and so all of my friends, all of my teammates, all of my peers, you know, when you're 19, 20 years old, especially from the male point of view, you're really only interested in having fun. I mean, that's your priority. That's your objective, okay? I was really, really opposite of that. Not that I wasn't into having fun, not that I wasn't into hanging out with my buddies, but my mindset, going back to as far as I can remember, was I cannot wait to become a dad. And so 19, 20 years old, I got my buddies that are thinking, you know, what does this weekend look like? In my mind, I'm dribbling up and down the floor thinking, okay, do I want to have a daughter first? Or, you know, should a son come first? Make sure, you know, that there's protected. All right. And I'm sitting on the bench thinking to myself, you know, does anybody have a copy of the greatest book of baby names? Because I'm really, really interested in that. All right. So I was really, really odd in that way. As far back as I can remember, when people are starting to think about, oh, what do you want to do when you grow up? What job do you want to have? What college do you want to go to? I'm thinking, I just can't wait to be a dad. I don't know where that came from. I don't know why that, that was so, such top priority in my life. Because trust me when I tell you, my peers were not thinking the same thing. I, I just wanted to be a father. And so, so I thought about that more and more as time progressed. As I, you know, I even asked, I went to God about it. I said, God, why is it that you wired me in such a way to want that role at such an early stage of life when most people aren't thinking about that at all. And so as time progressed and, you know, I kind of got understanding of what my purpose is in this life and where my giftings lie, I've spent the last 23 years of my adult life spending my entire existence with children. So 23 years, 21 as a youth pastor, the, the, the remaining two uh, coming up to this moment uh, working in the school system, and, and I just wanted everything to do, everything that I thought about was generated about helping young people in their journey. That's all I ever wanted to do. So I'm thinking, as, I, as, I'm, as I'm trekking through in my personal life, and I'm trekking through in my professional life, I'm thinking, okay, what is it that I'm really wanting to help kids to do? What am I wired to be there for? And so I thought about it, even, even outside of teaching them who God is and who, who God wants them to be and, and developing them and their identity in Christ, I, I wanted them to be spared from, and I wanted to help them avoid landmines that I stepped into. It was a heartbeat of mine. I was passionate about that. When I'm around young people that, that it appears that their life seems hopeless, I want to, for some reason or somehow, develop some sort of hope and help them to see that hope is right around the corner. It was just built that way. And yes, of course, I wanted them to take a spark of who they thought Jesus was and who Jesus was for their life and what Jesus did in their life and hopefully kind of ignite a flame into developing this passion for Jesus. But there's one word that I keep repeating over and over again that's kind of the heartbeat of where we're going today and really the heartbeat of, I think, why I was such a kid guy is that I love to help. I just want to help. And some of you are in here right now and you're thinking, the reason why this day is so difficult, the reason why Father's Day is challenging for a lot of us in this room is because maybe your earthly father wasn't that person that you wanted to be the helper in your life. And this day is hard because of it. That time when, when you finally figured out how to ride that bike without training wheels, but it wasn't your earthly father that taught you how to do it. 
Still think about that. The time when you actually wanted to have that very first and perfect first date, the one that you wanted to teach you about that and what that was supposed to look like wasn't the person that actually did. And maybe it was the person that you wanted to help you walk down that aisle and it wasn't the person that actually did. And because of some of those reasons, this day is difficult and it's challenging and sometimes it makes us want to avoid and just go fishing and avoid it all. Because that person that you desired to be helper in your life and the person that you thought was supposed to be helper in your life wasn't there to offer you your help. And it hurts and it stings and it doesn't go away. And for some reason or another, when this day rolls around, it's that day that just kind of resurfaces those, 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 those feelings and those times and those moments in your adolescence where you thought that was the time where I was supposed to have that one person helping me and doing the role that they were supposed to do. See, I always wanted to fill that gap for people. I always wanted to be this helper in the Mr. Fix-It. And I think that's why God generated this, this desire in me and this heartbeat in me to want to be this person that was just investing in kids because I just simply wanted to help where they felt helpless in times. No, I'm not God. No, I have my own vulnerabilities. Yes, I do have my own vulnerabilities and weaknesses. Yes, I am a little bit lacking in certain areas that make me think, why would I want to be that person? And how I am, am I even the one that's supposed to be targeted to be that person to help out? But that was always my desire and passion to do so. And for the past 23 years, all I've ever wanted to do is to just step in that role and step in that gap for the people that just didn't have that. So what is it about this idea of help? What is it about this idea of help that kind of generates this, this desire for, for somebody to fill a role where I am coming to this grip and coming to this reality that there are certain things in this life that I can't do by myself? And that's hard, right? The biggest picture I have of this, this moment is when you're actually learning or maybe teaching somebody to swim. I've got three kids, and they're all, thank the Lord, they can all swim by now. They're all, they're all grown up, and they're all older now. But, but, but that, those moments where I was teaching them how to swim, you guys, if you've had children and you've done this yourself, or maybe they're not your children, but you've helped somebody swim, you, you know that moment where they drifted off a little bit too far from the side, and they turn around, and whether they're above the water or below the water, they're wide-eyed, and they're staring right at you. What are you going to do to reach out your hand and help me? They're not worried about where the side is. They're worried about where your hand is. And that moment of desperation and desire for somebody to stretch out their hand and offer me this moment of desperation and fill that void and that gap is so needed in this moment. And it's such vivid imagery to me. And this is the picture that I want us to see when it comes to what God desires to be and the role that he wants to fill in your life and in mine the one who is the ultimate helper. And we see what this looks like in Psalm chapter 121. So if you have a Bible with you, I would love it if you followed along with me in Psalm 121. I know you guys have been kind of trekking, uh, kind of trekking through Psalms over the past couple of weeks, and you're going to have a summer just totally devoted to the book of Psalms, which is really, really exciting for me to think about. And there's a reason why I, I really get kind of 
get kind of passionate about thinking through, okay, what is the purpose of Psalms? Why, why is it that you know, this church really felt like, hey, why don't we spend a couple minutes really focused on what this book is truly about? There's a couple different reasons why I think it is so valuable and important for us to understand when we look at this book of Psalms. First of all, yes, it is kind of a compilation of lyrical poems, which that can be really, really exciting. We think it's all devoted and kind of connected to music. A lot of it was, but not all of it. Okay, all right, but these, these collection of psalms were also unique because the collection was really put together by a handful of different authors. Most books are not that way. Really, Proverbs is really the only one, uh, the other, other book that has more than one author attached to it, except for, you know, the, who wrote Hebrews and all that, all right? All right, but psalms is really, really unique. And what we're going to look at today is actually a Davidic psalm, and, and David is really, really responsible for the majority of these psalms, and kind of putting these psalms together, these lyrical poems together, and, and, and also we're going to look at you know, the fact that there's one thing that really, really stands out more than anything else when it comes to these psalms as far as the purpose behind all of them that makes them all synchronized, and we're going to look at it in just a second. And what that really, really kind of leads us into is, is every time that, tell me if I'm wrong, all right? All right you don't have to react or respond, but, but isn't this accurate and right? When we, when we open up our scripture, when we open up the word of God, there's something really, really meaningful to us when we take something personal out of it. It's like, ah, oh, I can relate to that. That makes sense to me. I've been through that. I know somebody that's been connected to that issue. I've walked that path with somebody before. And when we formulate some sort of personal connection to it, that allows us to desi the desire to respond in some way. Whenever we're personally connected, we want to either do something about it or tell somebody else about it. The response is so key. There's one thing I pray over and over again when I have an opportunity to stand in front of people and talk about Jesus. It's this. All right, and I actually prayed it for you guys on the drive in here. I said, Lord Jesus, help us to know when and where to respond to whatever it is that you want us to respond to. Lord Jesus, soften my heart in a way that helps me recognize what it is that you want me to respond to and let me act obediently. The response is so instrumental for us. Because sometimes, guys, hey, and I've been a Christian for a long time, sometimes it's hard to open up our Bible and just think, well, that's good information. I don't know what to do with it. That's helpful for me because, you know, that's valuable, but I don't know how to connect my life to it. And then you have those moments where you know without a shadow of doubt, I've got to do something with this. And those are those moments that can be life-changing. I've got to respond in a certain way. And every single one of the psalms that's compiled by many different authors, it's all put together with one thing in mind. How is it that you're going to respond to a situation? It could be a situation that has a lot of negative connotations to it. It could be a situation of joy and thanksgiving. It could be a situation that really, all right, what we're going to look at today was actually called a psalm of ascent. And a psalm of ascent is simply this where people are actually going up to, all right, looking up into a hill and recognizing that I'm about to ascend or walk up this hill to one of these three feasts that happen every, every year. And so the psalm of ascent is people looking up to a hill, and I've got to go from where I am now to this place where God wants me to be. Every single one of the psalms, regardless if it's a psalm of thanksgiving, a psalm of praise, a song of lament, or a song of ascent, all requires that we respond out of human emotion. Father's Day. Emotion. We don't like to talk about emotions, do we? Right, guys? 
Emotion's not fun to wrestle with. For some reason, more males than females. We don't like to approach it. We don't like to deal with it. And we definitely oftentimes don't know how to respond to it. Because sometimes we just kind of get caught in the trap of avoiding emotion. And God, through his incredible compilation of lyrical poems, gives us situations and circumstances, again, regardless of its lamenting or regardless of its pure joy or regardless of its pure thanksgiving. He says, how are you going to respond out of this moment of human emotion? And it's none different in Psalm 121. So let's look at it and see what the emotion is and how we're supposed to respond to what this calling is. Again, this is a Psalm of David, and he says this in verse 1. He says, a song of ascent. I lift my eyes into the hills. From where does my help come? Stop right there just for a second. If, if, you're, if you're a Bible person, you've been, maybe you've been a Christian for a certain amount of time, you really, really enjoy the Bible, you spend a lot of time in the Bible, you may have heard this Psalm before, at least maybe heard this verse before. So this, I lift my eyes, I lift my eyes into the hills. There's response number one, and we're going to sit on this just for a few minutes. I lift my eyes into the hills, and then he moves into a rhetorical question that really requires no answer whatsoever. He says, where does my help come from? So what is it that David is actually talking about when he's looking up into the hills? I told you guys that this is a psalm of ascent, and a psalm of ascent is basically a pilgrim psalm, okay? And pilgrims at this point in time, all right, these, these Jeru- people that are, that are Israelites about to head their way up this hill, up into Jerusalem for one of the three festivals of the year, they're looking up in this hill, and, and we can also take away from this that there must have been some sort of danger along the way. Something must happen between where they are and where they're trying to be that gives them some animosity, some anxiousness, some anxiety all the way up the hill as they look up and say, I look up my my eyes into the hills. Where is my help going to come from? Now, we don't know exactly what kind of danger is along the way. There's been a lot of people that have talked about what this looked like for certain people, and people actually come to claim that there's actually bandits along the the roadway that make it very, very difficult for you to get from point A to point B. Regardless of that, what we have to understand is what is David talking about? What is the writer talking about? What is his experience out of human emotion? And this is key for us. Every time that we open up the Bible, regardless of what book it is, it's why the author matters. It's why the audience matters. It's why the place matters. It's because we have to understand what is their perspective as to why they're answering and asking these questions. And so David looks up at the hills and says, where does my help come from? Now let's talk about his experience for a moment. If we're familiar about David, with David, and even if we're not, no problem at all. Let me try to catch you up. All right? David became... An amazing Israelite king, the greatest king of all Israel next to Jesus himself, all right? But prior to him becoming king, he was also terrified because he had this king trying to basically wreck his life and take his life away from him. And so for 10 to 12 years, David is avoiding this this captivity by the king, and he goes up into a hillside. And he, he kind of dives into this cave, and he goes to the back of the cave, and the king is chasing after him along with his army, and he gets so close that the king actually takes a nap at the very beginning of that cave where David is sleeping at the back of it, knowing that that same king is trying to take his life. And he avoids him. And then David slips out to one side of the mountain. The king and the, uh, the, the rest of his army slip to the other side of the mountain. And David finds rest 
And David finds restoration in the cleft of a mountain. His life is spared in the side of a hill. And David looks up in the mountain and says, where does my help come from? And in that moment, he understands the presence of God. My help comes from the Lord. My help comes from the Lord. Because I've already seen it. I've already walked in it. I've already experienced it. I've already dealt with it. That in that time of desperation, in that time of neglect, in that time where my life should not have been spared, God showed up. See, we're sitting in this room now, and we're probably processing through situations in our journey and situations in our life where we've been able to escape. Moments in our life where we never thought we would be able to get out of it. Moments in our life where we thought, I don't know how I got out of it, and I got to think back to the journey and every step that took place that took place there because I don't know how I got from there to there. And then you think, God showed up. God showed up. You might have personal experiences where you or somebody else that's close to your life, where doctors couldn't explain how they got actually healed and restored from whatever it was that we were struggling with. And you look back and you think, where did my help come from? I looked my eyes and I set my eyes to the hills for my help comes from the Lord. And there's no other answer for it. And you can't explain it away. And all you can think about is, I don't know why I'm here but I thank God that the presence of God led me from here to here. Finding your restoration and safety in the cleft of the hill, as David looks up at the mountain and says, where in the world did my help come from? I know exactly where it came from. I know exactly where it came from. And in his moment of grief and despair, trying to avoid the most awful scenario he could ever think of, spared and now his response was out of thanksgiving look with me again look at verse 2 my help comes from the lord who made heaven and earth he will not let your foot be moved he who keeps you will not slumber now here's a response basically where he's saying i am now in this moment where i understand who god is I'm in this moment of my life where I understand truly the nature of his magnitude. I understand fully who he is and what he's capable of doing because he connects it to the actual creation of the universe. And some of us in this room, we might be kind of struggling with that. You know, I don't know if there's this creator thing. I don't know if it just kind of happened. All right. I mean, I know the leadership of this church would love to have that conversation with you. But right now, David is reverting back to the creation of the world as he knows it. And he's thinking through. He's thinking all right, God made the expanse of the sky. God developed light in a way that, that distinctly determined what is day and what is night. God developed this idea of what is ground and what is above. God designed this idea of an expanse of water. God designed this idea of what plants and herbs and nourishment look like. God designed this idea of what being fruitful to the world with an abundance of creation. And, and then he says, I know that God also designed me in his perfect image. And if a God is able to do that, surely he's able to help me from my affliction. 
right? If, if God is able to do all of that, surely he's able to care about my need. And, and, and here we are, and this, this, is, this is not truly not a, a guy versus gal type of thing, but guys, we, we, we battle this. We battle this. We don't like to think about anything that we can't do. That's not a word in our vocabulary. Can't? Can't do? As a matter of fact, that goes against all the messages that I heard growing up, right? Remember that coach that told me that, hey, you know what? Man, you are, you're on your way, son, right? You're on your way, scholarship right around the corner. You remember that guy? And then you didn't reach it? Or that teacher that looked you in the eye and said, oh, I've got the perfect career path for you. And now you sit where you are and you don't feel like you got there? Or maybe even a parent that looked you in the eye over and over and again and said, you can do anything you set your mind to. Anything at all. And now where are you in this life right now? You're suffering with shame and guilt because you don't think you met that standard. So here we are, face to face, with the true nature of sometimes we can't. And then David looks up to the hills and says, if a God is able to do that, surely he's able to take care of my need and offer me the support that I need and be the helping hand that I need and stand at the side of that pool and offer his hand to me that I need and reach out with joy and thanksgiving so I can reach out to that and grab it back. Surely that same God wants to do that for me. Even when I feel like I can't. He can and wants to. He moves on and says this in verse 5. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. Some significance here. Obviously, we're talking about Israel here. Obviously, many, many months during out the calendar year in Israel is extremely hot. And so the, the nature of what the sun is capable of doing truly transcends what is important in this moment. It says God's going to keep you and shelter you and shade you from that type of harm. And he references the right hand. Well, what's the significance of the right hand? Why does that matter? You got to understand that the majority of people in the world, they are right hand dominant. Also, when you are kind of given the child birthright, all right, the birthright is set on your right hand. Also, warriors hold swords in their right hand as a, as a kind of this, this, this response and this representation of being, being strong and courageous. And there's a reference to the right hand that God will not strike you on your right hand. And he will shade you from the damage of a threatening son. Beautiful imagery that he wants all of us to understand in your time of need, no matter what your affliction is, God is there standing at the side of the pool. Where does your help come from? Is, is it still, I can? I'll figure it out. I'll make sense of this. It's all going to work out. I don't need any assistance. I don't need your advice. I don't need your nudging. I don't need, I don't need, I don't need. Until when? Until when? See, we have a God that not only stands at the side of the pool 
because he knows that we're going to be seeing and experiencing times of desperation. He wants to. He's desperate for you and I. He's desperate for a relationship with you. And we know no matter what the relationship is, we have to stare somebody at some point in our journey right in the eyes and say, I thought I could, but I'm falling short. I thought I would be here in my life, but for some reason I'm still here. I thought I could handle all this pressure, but for some reason I can't. And God's like, where does your help come from? Turn your eyes to the hills. Because my help comes from the Lord. Let me just quickly tell you about what, not that some of you might care, but hey, guess what? I got a microphone, so you got to listen. All right. Let me tell you quickly about what the last nine months of my life have looked like. Abbreviated version. Here goes the Cliff's Notes. The last nine months of my journey, I was offered this incredible opportunity to teach Bible in a Christian school in Roswell five days a week, pouring into young people five days a week. And not only that, but when I accepted the position, the principal and the headmaster of the school looked at me in the eye and said, oh, by the way, you're also the department chair for the entire K through 12 organization, which means I get to lead a team of Bible teachers from kindergarten all the way through 12, and I get to develop curriculum for Bible teachers kindergarten through 12, and I didn't even apply for that job. So this is what we want you to do. Not only that, also on the offer sheet said, oh, we also want you to redevelop and emphasize an international and domestic mission strategy for our school. So I spent the last school year vetting organizations and finding the right locations, the right organizations, and the right people to surround our students with, both internationally and domestically. And now in the 23-24 school year, we have three international trips and two domestic trips to offer our aid and our help to people that don't have what we have. Not only that, January hits. January rolls around, and the one staff member that really, really took me under his wing, been there 16 years, been a Bible teacher in that school for all 16, 16 of those years, adored, loved, valued, truly, truly kind of the culture and the heartbeat of the school, finds out that he has cancer, and three weeks later passes away. And the school looks at me, says, I want you to lead the memorial service for the entire school on Mr. Kinsey's behalf. I knew the man four months. Not only that, three weeks after that funeral, one of my favorite students in one of my ninth grade classes loses his mom to an undisclosed disease overnight with no warning. And the school again addresses me and says, we believe that you are the one that needs to give care and support and pastoral care and counsel to this young man. About a month after that, our athletic director approaches me and says, hey, you know what, Adam? We need to make a change in the boys' basketball program. We need more leadership, we need more guidance, and we need more spiritual direction for our young men. You're the guy to do it. Not only that, about two months ago, I get an email from this guy named Brian Haas. 
says, hey, Adam, I want you to come and speak to local Dawson on June 18th. You want to know, truly, I'm not trying to make this about me at all. I'm trying to paint a picture for somebody, maybe one person in this room, that I need you to hear this. I asked for none of those things. None of those things. But you want to know what my response was, my consistent response to God after each one of those things kept falling in my lap? Hey, God, I don't know what I'm doing. You know what God's response back to me was? Good. I like it like that. I like it like that. And when I tell you I don't know what I'm doing, trust me when I tell you I don't know what I'm doing. Some of you are like, yeah, I know that. Okay, especially the Brian part. Okay, all right, you don't know what you're doing. All right, so, hey, I don't know what I'm doing. And so what does that require of me? It requires a response out of a human emotion of doubt, of guilt, thinking that I'm not just who I was supposed to be, of just inadequacy. And and let me just tell you, one of my all-time favorite organizations in the history of the world for personal, individual development is is Alcoholics Anonymous. And in Alcoholics Anonymous, there's a 12-step program. And you guys know what the very first step is? Admit that you cannot. Admit that you cannot. Step one, admit that you can't. And, and so I, this, this past year, whirlwind, I'm still sweating it out. I don't know how I'm going to do some of this stuff, but still sweating it out. But all I can do is look to the hills and say, God, I know where my help comes from. So how about now? Jesus, I, I, I'm, I'm not going to do what, what, what most teenagers do, not being critical teenagers. You're my people. I love you. But this is what y'all do. Who can I find that can give me the best advice? Who, who can I find that will give me some sort of word that will help me take a next step? And let me just tell you, teenager or not, no matter who you are, let me just advise you in something, especially if you don't know who Jesus is. Have you ever looked to the hills and asked yourself, I wonder where my help will come from. I wonder who it is that's going to step in here and fill in this gap where I truly feel as though I cannot. My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth, who cares more about you than his creation. And if you are in this room right now and you you don't know Jesus, I just want you for just a moment to really think about what that feels like when you've drifted too far from the side. You're turning back wide-eyed for something. You're wide-eyed for something. And let me just tell you, what would it look like in your life today if you stopped making it about the side of the pool? And making it about whose arms outstretched to you. What, what if today's the day? You said, all right, I need help. 
So Jesus, here's my hand. And if you're in that place right now, it's an amazing passion, uh, excuse me, passage in Romans chapter 10 that all we have to do to truly be in the family of God where God cares for you like a child is that we confess with our mouth that he truly is Lord and truly believe in your heart that he was raised from the grave so that you can look at him and say, I'm in need of the help of a savior. He says, you belong to him. What a Father's Day. What a Father's Day to gain the perfect Father who is your ultimate helper in time of need. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you so much of your promises. I thank you so much for the fact, Lord Jesus, that there are moments in our life that we have to admit that we can't. And that's so countercultural. I understand that. That is so backwards. Nobody's getting that message from the world. Even the messages that we get, God, that, that have such positive tones to them. It's like, you can do it. Oh, just keep trying. Keep plugging away. Yes, you can. You have enough strength too. Man, those all sound so good. Those all sound so good. But God, what happens when we get to that place that we were told we would be, and that's not where we are? What happens, God, when we, when we come face to face with, I can be anything, but everything I've sought to be keeps falling short? What then? What then? God, I pray that you will just help us to remember the words of David as he looked up to the hill that was part of his total and complete safety. Where does my help come from? That's right. My help comes from the one and only God who loves me like his child and sees me perfectly. Jesus, if there's somebody in the room today, Father, that needs that outstretched arm, I ask Jesus that today be the day that they are so courageous and also so vulnerable that they recognize their need for a helping Savior. We love you, Jesus, in your name.